unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. All right, copywriters, welcome back to the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. David, how are you doing? I'm good, Nathan. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. I am super excited about today's show, and I'm expecting you to explain why here in a second. That's right. This is another in our series called Reports from the Field. And let me start by explaining an old concept in direct response marketing. It's called dry testing. And basically, it means that you sell the product before you've even created it. And I've heard some questions about whether it's okay to do this with physical products. But it seems to me it's perfectly okay to do this with a course you're planning to do. That is, people pay now and take the course later. And let me explain why I think it's okay. Every single university does this. And some of our universities in America, like Harvard and Yale and College of William and Mary, are actually older than the country itself. They were founded before 1776. And to give you an even more specific example, I have a friend who was teaching a class at UC Berkeley Extension. And the way it worked is he would send them an outline, they would put an ad in their catalog, and people would pay. And if enough people paid to make it, I don't know, revenue neutral, like they wouldn't lose money or they could afford to pay him in the rooms they rented or whatever they set up as their metric. If enough people came in, they'd hold the class. If not, they would cancel the class and refund the money. So this is a traditionally accepted strategy with a proven track record. Now, innovation is when you take this strategy of setting up a class, charging money for it, and then deciding if you're going to do it. If you take that strategy and bring it into the 21st century and you do it as an entrepreneur rather than as a big institution. And Nathan, that's what you did this spring. And in today's episode, we're going to get a report from the field from you where you're going to share method to your madness and talk about the results. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, that's why I was so excited about today's show. <laughs> Good, I thought so. But first, speaking of method, try this on for size. Copy is powerful. You're responsible for how you use what you hear on this podcast. Most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you make extreme claims and or if you're writing copy for offers in highly regulated industries like health, finance, and business opportunity, you may want to get a legal review after you write and before you start using your copy. My larger clients do this all the time. So let's let's start from your point of view. When you talk about um, what you're doing, there's a risk of creating a new product before you know the market wants it. So in big picture terms, and we'll drill down in the details as we go, but in big, in big picture terms, how did you mitigate that risk? I don't know if I can give you the, the exact answer that you're looking for. Um, basically, I mean, how, how did you even know people might want this and how much of a risk did you think it was? And, and what was your overall strategy? Just big picture. 
Okay. So I knew that people might want it because this is something that I do for people. I write a lot of emails for different businesses and different entrepreneurs. And I knew that uh, email, the, the course is all about email marketing. Mm-hmm. And so I knew that it was something that was kind of an in-demand product. I also knew that a lot of people come to me and when they see my prices, they're not able to afford what I charge for writing emails. And so sometimes I do one-on-one consultations with people where I walk through their emails and I tell them, okay, you could tweak this, you could do this a little bit differently, uh, maybe try a different type of headline. And so I have a lot of experience helping people with setting their email marketing up. And because it's such a continuing thing, I knew that there was a need for it. I just didn't know if people would actually buy a course, but I didn't want to go through the trouble of creating a course because, you know, you've created info products before. It's, it's a lot of work to put a course together. Sure. And I didn't want to go through all of the work of putting a course together before I even knew that there would be a demand for the product. So that was kind of the inspiration of, we'll see if, we'll see if this will actually sell before I put all the work into creating the course. Yeah, that's that's good. So let me make a, a few comments about that. Um, a lot of people, when they do a course, they do it because, um, I don't know, a little birdie told them that it would be a good idea or they're certain that the market wants it or God knows why, but they don't have any any evidence from the marketplace. They don't have any feedback, any input, any conversation from actual people. What you did was very good because number one, people are paying you to do this. So, you know, people need this. And number two, uh, people who can't pay you sometimes hire you to uh, give them a consultation on this. So you'd seen two forms of this. In other words, you already narrowed the risk because you knew there was a demand. I mean, you knew it not just because people asked, but because people wrote you checks, sent you PayPals for other forms of this kind of information or this service where you were actually doing it or where you were helping them. So you thought, okay, take it to the next level. And I think for anyone who's going to be doing a course, it's probably a good idea to have worked with people or to have sold people, or to have actually done what you're teaching, rather than there's a lot of people who will read a few books and claim that they're an expert. And what they're an expert on maybe is what they remember from the book. But you actually have that interactive expertise where you know what happens in the real world when you do this, when the things get sent out, how people respond to it, what their cautions are, what their desires are, what their misconceptions are, what they can be taught, how they learn it, right? You you had all of that background. So even though you had no idea whether people would actually pay you for a course or not, you knew that the demand was there and you knew that if, if the demand turned into sales, you'd be able to fulfill it. Am I right? Yeah. And the other thing about that is I also knew the pain points. I knew the frustrations because I've dealt with um, going on, I don't know, 20, 15, 20 different clients in different industries, helping people with their email marketing. I've, I've seen the same issues come up over and over again. I've seen the same frustrations come up over and over again. I've had people come to me 
with the same problems over and over again. So I knew when I was creating the sales letter, I knew which things were going to resonate with people. And that definitely helped me um, knowing the pain points, knowing what was going to resonate with people, knowing what was going to um, convert through a sales letter also helped me kind of flesh out in my head, what should this product be? So I wasn't just creating a product based off of what do I want to create? I was creating a product based off of what do I know people want? Right. So I would say that you, you, you're bringing two um, really uh, war chests of advantages uh, to this fight. You know, on, on the one hand, you know what people need, what they want, how the work is done, how to maybe not how to teach people, but at least how to guide them through it. So you sort of knew the content part of the course, but the other thing is you knew how to sell it, or at least you had a pretty good idea that you knew how to sell it because you knew the pain points. So that really rolls right into my next question. What actual steps did you take? Could you break down your marketing process and talk about your copy? Yeah. So first of all, what I did before I even took to the copy, um, I, I created an Evernote folder and I said, these are the things that people keep coming back to me for. These are the things that I keep getting work doing. Um, and I broke it down into five main things. And uh, I said, these are, the, these are the five biggest pain points that I'm constantly dealing with. And so then at that point, I said, you know, I don't want to really flesh this idea out any further than this point until I make sure that there's, you know, actual market validation. So at that point, uh, I, I sat down and I typed up a sales letter. And, um, I think we'll have it available, the archive of it. Cause I'm going to, I'm going to put the pre-sell sales letter up and have it archived without the actual buying leaks links. Uh, but if, if listeners want to go check it out, it'll be up at copyandfunnels.com slash David. So they can go check that out. Um, okay. but basically I, I wrote up the sales letter based off of what I thought, uh, people would, would be most responsive to. Um, I, it was a very direct sales letter. It, it didn't beat around the bush. It wasn't an indirect lead. It was a very direct lead. It was a very direct headline. And it got straight into the frustrations of, of email marketing that I, that I am constantly dealing with with people. Uh, it got into why I'm such a big fan of email marketing right away. So it, it kind of hit at the fears and the insecurities that people have and then immediately followed up with um, the results that I often see with my clients. And then um, it, it got into why I'm pre-selling it rather than selling, uh, you know, why I'm giving such a good deal on the pre-sell rather than waiting until the course is already up to sell it. And then, uh, and then my, my frequently asked questions, I think the, the biggest feedback that I've got from people is the, the frequently asked questions is what really sold them. And in the frequently asked questions, I actually, uh, right away eliminate two thirds of the people that'll be seeing it, uh, immediately I eliminate, um, one of the questions I kept getting was, can, and this is consistently throughout my work. Um, do you write emails for big companies? I have a big company where a mass brand and I refuse to work with clients like that because they're too constrictive. They don't, they're always afraid of personality. They're always afraid of, um, being too real in their emails that their emails mm -hmm. always sound like they're coming from an HR department. And I just don't enjoy writing that. I don't enjoy critiquing that type of copy. So 
Uh, I right off the bat, I said, this is not for you if you're this. I also said, I'm not going to give any refunds. I don't deal with people that want refunds. This is an info product. I'm not going to deal with the refunds. If you don't know that my work is quality, um, you should just not buy it. Don't, don't worry about it. And those two, uh, more than all of the frequently asked questions that told people this is for you, those two that said this is not for you, um, actually, I, heard, I got a lot of feedback from people that said, those two were the ones that actually made me buy it, that made me realize that this is something that I wanted to get in on. So uh, that was kind of a weird, a, a weird little bit of feedback. The two that I tried to push people away with were the two that actually brought more sales in. Well, I think any marketer worth his salt needs to have the balls to tell people who it's not for as well as who it's for. I think that always works as long as you have enough people in the who it's for section of the market with money, you know? Um, and also if I were to take an email course today, I wouldn't want a teacher who's going to be trying to adapt the material to big corporate soulless, um, personality, dactamide, um, type of communicators, which is, you know, I think what you're saying, uh, corporate emails like, and which I would agree with you. So I, I think that's pretty cool. Could you say what the five pain points were? So the pain points are basically not knowing a lot of people come into email because they, they're, or when the reason that they're slow to come into email is because there's a lot of technological stuff to get over a lot of hurdles. They don't know uh, how to keep their emails out of the spam folder. They don't know how to avoid getting their email accounts shut down. Uh, they don't know email copy. Email copy is different than regular copywriting. It's a, it's a totally different art form. Um, yep. So there's a lot of technical stuff that people don't know. Um, the, the other big pain point is people don't know how to build their email list. So even if they do know how to write emails, um, they have no idea how to actually build an email list. That's one of the biggest struggles that people have. Um, the other thing is not knowing how to write autoresponder series is. So one of the best things about email is that you can put most of it on autopilot, but people don't really know how to write good autoresponder series that keep people opening their emails. And then the biggest pain point that I have with people uh, is not knowing how to come up with content for daily emails. It's so hard to come up with something new to say every single day and it, people just get burnt out. They try email marketing for a, a week or two weeks or maybe a month. And then they just get to the point where they feel like they've ran out of stuff to say. Okay, so um, this might be a, a slightly embarrassing question, but do you know this because you think so or because people have told you so? Oh, I know this because this is what people constantly come to me for. Okay, so this is a major point that, um, good, a uh, major point that a lot of course creators, product creators, entrepreneurs, and copywriters miss. You get people to tell you, you listen to what they complain about. You actually talk to people. You don't send out surveys or set up automated processes. You actually look at what people are willing to lay their money down for, which you did. So you did it right. and. Obviously, well, I don't know. We'll, we'll find out how it, how it worked in a minute. Can I ask you, um, how did you get people to that sales page? What exact promotion did you do? So I did a couple organic posts on Facebook, and then I took the one that 
seemed to get the most response and I put a dollar a day behind it in Facebook ads. And, um, strangely enough, it was the most direct response, uh, uh, or the most direct like Facebook post that I put out. I did a couple of indirect leads that kind of hinted at a pain point and, and, uh, tied it back into why email marketing is the solution. Those ones did okay, but I did one where it was just like, Hey, do you like making money? Do you like saving money? Email marketing is great for that, but it can be frustrating. I just put together a course. I've worked with email marketers for a long time. These are the biggest things that can turn around your results in email marketing. If you want to check out more, go to this page and look at what we've got coming up. And that that's, one, that's really good. Now you said you spent a dollar a day. Yeah. Typically when I run Facebook ads, I have a couple of different audiences picked out in Facebook and I usually do a dollar a day campaign for the first week or so, uh, just to kind of give Facebook the chance to figure out who's going to respond, who's not going to respond. And then once it's, once I've started getting a response, the algorithm kind of knows what type of people are responding to this particular ad within this particular group. And then after about three or four days, you'll start getting a better response rate. And then, and then I'll usually put a couple of dollars more per day. But until I know that an ad is going to actually convert. So you're really doing this gorilla. I mean, you're doing this on a shoestring. Uh, yeah, but here's the thing. Even when I work with clients that um, have a bigger budget to spend than what I feel comfortable with, I still recommend doing it, just doing small tests at first so that sure. you get you get a little bit of feedback before you dump a bunch of money. Just like I mean, how many clicks can you get for a dollar? You really can't get very many clicks per day, but you can Facebook gets a better idea of who to show it to. And for the first couple of days, that's really what I'm going for is I, is I want to make sure that Facebook is showing it to the right people before I start dumping 10 or 15 or 30 or 50 dollars a day because that's just wasted money if you don't know who, if Facebook algorithms okay. doesn't know so, who so, so this is a bottom-up testing strategy where you really start a minimal amount. And, and, and I get it. The, the algorithm learns. So when you start putting more dollars in, Facebook is going to use those dollars more efficiently for you, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, and it's, okay. it's, it's kind of the same idea of pre-selling the course. It's... I don't want to put a bunch of effort into it until I know that there's a responsive audience. I don't want to put a bunch of money into Facebook ads until I know that Facebook has found the responsive yeah. audience. Yeah, I think that's really smart. So what kind of response did you get over what period of time and with what kind of ad spend? In other words, how many dollars and hours or days did you put in and what, what came back? Do you have a problem with Kindle books? I do. Sometimes I really just want to hold a book in my hand so I can turn the pages and highlight stuff and make notes. That's one reason I recently released the print version of my book, Breakthrough Copywriting. And listen to this. On Facebook, I've gotten pictures posted from around the world. Pictures of people holding their printed copy of Breakthrough Copywriting in their hands, including one from an A-list screenwriter and marketer in L.A.'s famous Topanga Canyon. He was reading the book in his hot tub. Breakthrough Copywriting is a great book for you, whether you are a beginner or an A-lister yourself or anywhere in between. It costs a tiny, tiny fraction of my $5,000 a head seminar that the book is based on. So check out Breakthrough Copywriting on Amazon.com. Now, back to the show. So this far, or thus far, and this is a combination between emailing and Facebook ads. Um, <laughs> 
I've probably put in a little bit over $30 worth of ads. Okay. And uh, I ended up uh, this morning, I got two more sales. And so we've sold 59 slots so far. Wow. Wow. And uh, between some of those sales came in at the original pre-sale price of $37, and some of them came in at the upped pre-sale price of $97. So okay. off of $30 ad spend, I've made a little bit over $3,000 back. Okay, so that's for every dollar you put in, you got 100 back. Uh, yeah, I mean, but again, I have to take into account that I did, I have a, fairly large email list that I was able to mail to as well. So, um, some of those, some of them came from email. Some of them came from Facebook ads and some of them came from a combination. Cause I do target my email list through my Facebook advertising. Okay. So that's really interesting. Now, let me ask you a, a qualitative, you know, words rather than numbers question. Um, when you introduce this course, if you do it on Facebook, of course, people can give you feedback. They can make comments. What kind of responses did you get? Uh, I got mixed responses. Most people were saying that like immediately I started getting sales. The very first day that I started running the ad, I started getting sales. and. Um, it was to a warmer audience. Like I said, I targeted people that were already on my email list. I targeted people that were fans of my Facebook page. So I started getting a response from warm people right away saying that they couldn't believe how cheap the course was going to be or how inexpensive the course was going to be. Mm -hmm. um, I got a lot of people actually sharing the promoted ad because they're fans of the, they're fans of the copywriters podcast. They're fans of the Nathan Fraser show. So um, I got a lot of people that were actually helping promote and that definitely increased the visibility of the Facebook ad. Um, but I also got kind of what we were talking about at the very beginning of the show. I also got people commenting saying, Oh, so this isn't even made yet. You're trying to collect money for something you don't even have. Isn't that fraud? And so I got accusations of committing fraud. I think the second day that the ad ran, somebody left a comment saying that I was committing fraud and my response to that was basically, hey, you sell tickets to a pay-per-view event before it's, before it's available. Nobody knows whether Conor McGregor and, and Floyd Mayweather are actually going to show up, but you're still able to sell tickets for that. So um, that's kind of my approach to this. Wait, wait a minute. So are you saying you and Landon are going to put on gloves and get in the ring during this thing? <laughs> Definitely not. This is going to be a, co a collaborative effort, not a okay. competition. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, that I think it's a really good answer, and and it's true. And um, needless to say, if you had canceled the course, you would have given full refunds, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. But um, and that's kind of the thing you mentioned. Uh, you you see if people will buy. If not enough people buy to make it viable, then you you give a refund to people. Um, I didn't even mention that because I had a strong feeling again because I've been doing this for so many years and because. These are the things that I know people are dealing with because it's the things that people keep coming to me with. Um, I had a pretty strong indicator and my, my feeling was if I could just sell a hundred dollars worth of tickets, if I could just get three people to show up or five people to show up, that was going to be a success. And within like the first hour of running ads, I, I well exceeded that. So, um, it wasn't really a concern. Okay. So. Um, if you don't mind my getting into the numbers a little more, now the price is at 97. How long will you be selling? And you have already sold too, so people will pay that. I'm sure that based on what you said, 
it's easily worth 97, probably much more than 97. Um, how long are you going to be selling it for 97? And then is there a final price or a regular price or something? Yeah. So I'm selling it at 97 up until the day that the course goes live, which will be, I, it'll probably be in the past by the time people are listening to this. Um, it'll be selling at 97 up until April 8th, which is the day that we go live. Uh, and then after that, if you don't get in live, um, I'm going to be selling it. I want to sell it at 397 because I want to keep it affordable for people. But mm -hmm. I've showed it to a lot of our mutual copywriting friends and I've showed it to, uh, I've shown like now that I have the whole course plotted out, I've shown it to um, some of the people that run in our circles and everybody tells me that um, 397 is too low. Uh, so I want to keep it affordable for the entrepreneurs out there, but I've also been told that I need to be selling it at close to a thousand dollars. I don't think I'm going to go that high because I really want this course to be accessible to the entrepreneurs. That's who I really am targeting. Even if I'm delivering extra value above and beyond that, I'm really targeting those people. So I want to make it within well, their price range. You know, you could use what you just told me in your sales letters. I believe you're telling me the truth. I mean, I know you're an honest guy. And you could say a lot of people have told me to sell it for $1,000. I want to make this accessible. Uh, my regular price is whatever it is, but I'm I'm offering it now at an introductory price of three ninety seven. I think that's perfectly valid. I mean, you know, uh, the the kind of stuff you're you know what I love about this course that I always have tried to do in my courses. I've never heard of anyone else doing it. Is take all the questions and the problems that come up in real life, not just in you know, online polls or processes for gathering customer data, but, but actual conversations and transactions and, and molding them into a, a course to solve those problems for far more people than you could ever serve, no matter how busy you were and whatever your prices were as a, as a service provider, as a consultant. So I, I think that's really cool. So what, what are your goals? How many, you know, what would what would you like the final number to be of of the tuition for the live event? Mm, right now, we're at we have it capped off at a hundred people, and mm -hmm. the reason for that was number one, the limitations on the software that we're going to be using, and number two, I wasn't. I didn't think I was going to pre-sell as many tickets as I pre-sold. Like I said, I was expecting between 10 and 25 uh, tickets to be sold. Um, we're still about a week and a half away, and I've already passed the halfway point. And we haven't even done any promotion in Landon's group. Landon um, wants to promote the course in his group, and his group is like 14,000 people, 14,000 business owners. Yeah. So. Boom. Gone, done, you know, one <laughs> yeah. day and it'll be full. <laughs> yeah. So we might have to up, we might have to up the software that we're going to be using and we might have to up the amount of seats available. Um, so I, you know, my, my goals initially were to at least sell 50. Um, it's, we've already passed that. We've blown past that already. So I'm, I'm, I'm already past my goals. So I'm not sure what the next steps are. <laughs> I know. Isn't that funny? You set a goal and then you immediately go, uh, now what? Okay. So that's interesting. So how many, how many do you have now? Uh, 55, 60? We have 59 people signed up right now. 
So we've got 41 available slots. But like I said, if, uh, if all goes what I'm expecting to happen when we go live in Landon's group to promote it, um, I'm expecting to, those slots to fill up very quickly as well. And uh, we might have to readjust our plans because I definitely want to get as many people in um, at the $97 price as possible before the course goes live. Sure. Okay. So, um, just a little quick math. You're at 3000. Now you have 40 more slots at plus or minus a hundred dollars. So that's about $7,000. So essentially you're getting like a $7,000 advance from the market to create a product. Yeah. And that, like, like I said, that goes above and beyond what I was expecting the response to be. But, um, now it seems very realistic. Yeah. Okay, good. So if you could sum up, what did you learn in doing this whole process? The biggest thing that I learned is something that you already touched on. I've made info products before and I've done them based off of what I thought the market would want, what I've thought people would need. And I've never gotten the response that I got from this one. And this one, the biggest difference in my approach for this one was what do I already know people are struggling with? What do I already know people want? And by approaching it that way and by approaching the sales letter that way, just a massive difference in the response and um, going forward, um, that's going to be my approach is, is focusing, on what I, uh, focusing on what I already know people want rather than what I assume people want. Yeah, that's, that's really good. So I guess you would advise other people to do what you did. Um, to find out what people really want, would you offer any other advice on people who would like to use a strategy like yours? The only other advice that I would say is don't be afraid to try. I know probably the biggest thing that holds people back is their fear that it's they're not going to get the result, that people are going to laugh at them, especially as like a newbie entrepreneur, um, what our family, what our friends might think what our significant other might think kind of holds us back from testing things. And uh, if I had let those fears hold me back, we wouldn't even be having this conversation right now. So um, make sure that you make sure that you're selling something that people actually want to buy and don't be afraid to test it. Even if you don't have the full product available yet. Yeah, that's, that's really good advice. And I remember the first time I did this, I was scared too. And I was pleasantly surprised. I mean, in a way, nobody wants to write copy. Uh, nobody wants to write emails, but in another way people need to. And so they'd rather do it themselves than maybe hire someone else. And it's hard to find people to hire who are available who are any good. Yeah. And one of the things that I guess one of the takeaways from this as well is I make a decent amount of money doing critiques for people. I make a better amount of money actually writing for people, but there are a lot of people out there that um, they're not at that point yet where they can actually just hire out all of their copy. They're not at the point where they they can hire out all of their emails. And by having kind of like a middle rung in that ladder to where I have now a product, I have the free stuff on the website where people can go and learn. I also have the the upscale service that's at a premium price, and now I have a a middle tier product that helps them get the results, but without having to pay me to do all the work for them. So, um, having kind of those having the ability to approach people wherever they're at when they come into my world, 
um, gives me a, a much better ability to serve the people that I'm best suited to serve. Yeah, that, that's really good. So you're you're starting to develop different levels of your business this way. Well, you you already had two, but now you you've got a third one. And 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 sure, um, there as people more people find out about you, more people are going to want your service. And there are only so many hours in the day, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, thank you for um, opening the kimono, so to speak, and, <laughs> and, and really sharing all this, Nathan, both the financial and the emotional stuff. I think it'll be very inspiring and encouraging to to our listeners, especially you, if this is something you want to do. Um, Nathan just told you, sort of laid out a blueprint, laid out a recipe. Well, you, you do know something about recipes, don't you? So, um, yeah, that's that's really great. So thank you. This is excellent. I um, really appreciate it. And I hope everyone else understands how rare the information that you just shared is, how hard it is to, to get. So thanks for doing that. Well, thank you. This was kind of a weird experience being on the flip side of being interviewed on this podcast. Oh, well, what was it like? Was I gentle with you? <laughs> you did fantastic. Your your uh, your interviewing ability, I think it probably comes from the fact that you've gotten so skilled through your uh, through your um, regular media and through doing copywriting. So it kind of comes natural. But um, yeah, it was it was very pleasant. Well, I I met Mike Wallace from sixty Minutes when I was in college, and I said I don't want to be like him. So. <laughs> Nice. All right, David, this has been, this has been fun, man. I really appreciate you. Uh, you kind of flipping the script on me this week and, um, it was definitely a good experience. Yeah. Well, thanks for doing it and see you guys next week. Before we go, a quick question. Would you like to have me as a guest on your podcast? Let me give you an easy way to contact me about that. We've put up a form on garfinkelmedia.com, and it won't take much more than a minute to fill it out. So if you'd like to have me on your show, just go to garfinkelmedia.com and fill out the form. That's garfinkelmedia.com. Thanks, and see you next time on the Copywriters Podcast.